Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Amen. Good to pray. And I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer today as we come. And if you'll open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10, and uh, we're going to continue. And as we come into the book of Daniel, I want to set the scene for you and have a looking at, particularly as we start, just have a quick look at verse 1. In the third year of King uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia, a a word was revealed to Daniel. And verse 1 of Daniel is a summary event. And it really summarizes what's going to happen in chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12. And chapter 10 sets the scene for chapter 11 and 12. Daniel is about to hear a prophecy that is truly amazing, a prophecy that is directed at the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel are God's chosen people, a special people, as indeed we are too. But God had raised up the nation of Israel way back with a man called Abram who later became Abraham and took a wife, Sarah. And through this, God was doing a miraculous work to raise this nation up that they might be a kingdom of priests. They might show the rest of the nations around the world how they could worship the living God. And in the midst of that, God made them many promises about how they would flourish on the earth and how they would possess the land and how God would use them. Many of those promises are yet to still come to pass. Some have thought that perhaps God has changed his mind and that the church has been given those promises by God and that the nation of Israel have just been left to their own devices. But this is not the character of our God. Our God is a God when he makes a promise, he fulfills that promise. And in the book of Daniel, we begin to get a bit of a glimpse into the future, the yet future for us and for the nation of Israel as to what God is going to do with them and how God will fulfill his promises to them, and how God would be glorified. And that's where we come into the book of Daniel. The fourth vision that Daniel has received, the most powerful vision that Daniel has received. It'll explain a little bit more about what we've learnt in chapter 8. It will explain a little bit more about the tribulation that we hear about in chapter 9. It will talk about the tribulation in more detail on the millennial reign as we go into 11 and 12. And I, I think, I haven't looked at the roster but I think uh, Pastor Timon's going to be back to bless your socks off with that. So we come to this introduction time where Daniel receives this great vision. And in some ways we could just skip over it and think, well, it's just chapter 10 is just a bit of a respite for us and Daniel's getting prepared, but the real meat's in chapter 11 and 12. Some truth in that, but there's a lot to be learned here today. And as we move out of seeing Daniel worship the Lord in prayer from chapter 9, we see this beautiful underscoring of how powerful and how wonderful prayer is. The the picture on the screen for you was the best that I could do to communicate to you what I was thinking as I read this passage. In Daniel chapter 10, God takes the heavens and he pulls them open and he lets us glimpse the warfare that's going on in the heavenlies for the nation of Israel and indeed for you and I. He, he peels back the heavens and gives us a glimpse of his mighty angels warring on behalf of the nation of Israel and warring on our behalf to answer our prayers. He pulls back the, the heavens for a moment and lets us glimpse his power and his might. 
he pulls back the heavens and lets us realize that actually the power does not reside here. The power resides with our God. When all the prime ministers and presidents of our world gather together, we may think that they are setting the course of our world. They are not. They are puppets. The real battle is going on in heaven. And I tell you today that battle has been won by our Lord Jesus Christ and he will fulfill all that he said he will fulfill. So as we come into Daniel chapter 10, let's take a moment just to skip through the passage as a narrative. And at the end of that, I want to make some applications for us. Because when you're in Daniel chapter 10, you're talking about a man loved of God, a leader within the nation of Israel, but a man who lived in a different time than us. He was not indwelt all the time with the Holy Spirit as we are. God was working in his situation in a sense differently. He would come at particular times and anoint him and bless him. We have much to learn about what it is to be a devout man from this particular character. Daniel is an extraordinary man, extraordinary man who knew the living God. So how do we take the principles that we learn in, in Daniel chapter 10 about spiritual warfare, about the angels warring in heaven on our behalf, and apply them to us who are the children of God? We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you belong to the living God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and God is dwelling in you in all of his fullness, abiding with you, answering our prayers and leading us and illumining the word of God. And I think there's much we can learn from this. So let's start in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat, wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for those three weeks. So Daniel now at the age, we've moved on from Daniel chapter 9, we're two years down the road. Daniel must be around somewhere in his mid-80s, mid to late 80s. He's a, a significant individual, been used powerfully within that nation. This is He may be what we may consider to be in the twilight of his life, but this is a significant man. We have much to learn from him. He's very, very heavy of heart. He's been fasting for 21 days. If you can cast your mind back to the beginning of Daniel, remember when he was taken into captivity into Babylon, he chose not to eat the king's delicacies or drink the wine, but rather he just had water and food, the water and vegetables, as a way of honouring his God, and God honoured him and made Daniel and his friends better in appearance and in strength and gave them more favour than any other one that had been taken into exile at that time. And so when we look at Daniel fasting here, he's not going, as it were, to away from water and food. What he's probably done is he stopped eating the king's delicacies, which he would have been enjoying over his lifetime. So he's not eating the king's food anymore. He's back to vegetables and water. 21 days, this man, this mature man, is grieved. You have to ask yourself, what is weighing his heart down? I think we get the picture of that in chapter 9 as he received the that prophecy and that vision that God was going to work powerfully on behalf of the nation of Israel. He'd been reading the book of Jeremiah in his devotional times. He recognised that the time that it was allotted for the nation to be in captivity was coming to an end. His heart was swelling with joy to think that the captives would come out of captivity and they would go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild. That must have thrilled him, no doubt, deeply. Here he is a few years later, mourning and grieving and fasting. Only 42,000 
Only 42,000 of all the Jews that were in Babylon, we learned from the book of Ezra, chapter 2, only 42,600 of them had gone back to Jerusalem and began to do the rebuilding. That was just a tiny, tiny fraction of the amount of Jews that were living in Babylon at that time. And that must have weighed on his heart. I imagine he thought that many, 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 many thousands more would rise to the, the wonderful, joyful news of rebuilding their homeland. And he would have learnt, no doubt, from people that were coming back with news that the rebuilding process was not going smoothly. There was a lot of opposition. And the people were finding the work very, very difficult. And Daniel must have begun to question God, what, why is it not? I would have thought that everyone wanted to go back. I would have thought the majority, Lord, would have went back. I would have thought that the building program would have went ahead just wonderfully well because you were going to bless it and it didn't seem to be going that way. And so Daniel was grieving before the Lord and he was fasting before the Lord. It goes on to say that he did not even anoint himself with oil, which is a bit of a, an idea here if you've had sons. I've got three sons. And during the growing period of sons, they get to a point where they think that washing their bodies with soap and water is not essential. All they need is underarm deodorant. That covers everything, okay? And um, I know when my son's up early to go to work because the, the waft of underarm deodorant transfers to upstairs. And I think, oh, Dan's awake, okay? He should have had a shower, but underarm deodorant to work. Daniel had moved away from all these things. He was deep in mourning. Have a look in verse 4. On the 24th day of the first, first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the river Tigris. Now, I haven't been able to track a complete understanding of why he mentions 24. But what we need to pick up here is that over the 21 days that Daniel was fasting, two significant events have been occurring that were really major celebrations in the nation of Israel. This underscores how deeply Daniel was mourning. The Passover was occurring and Daniel was mourning during the Passover. That was for the Passover was a big deal. The Jews were celebrating God's deliverance. And for Daniel not to celebrate that, his heart was heavy. The celebration of unleavened bread where they acknowledged God's provision and blessing on them, and Daniel was mourning during that whole time. Continue to read with me. He says he's on the edge of the river Tigris and I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of gold, a euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like gleaming of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words were like the sound of a multitude. And he gives us a, a little window into his friends for a moment because he says, as I stood there on the river Tigris and I had been grieving over the nation of Israel and the plans that God had for them, I received a vision from God and the men that were with me did not see the vision, but they, they felt it. You read on, they, they ran off. They probably didn't even want to run off. Like they just couldn't stop themselves because this was a significantly holy moment. I don't know if they heard anything. But clearly something was happening that was really wonderful and magical and powerful. And Daniel was there on his own. So who is this, this, uh, this person? Who is this messenger? Who is this, this one who's been sent by God? 
and not to labour too long. We just don't know. But we're not told. But clearly, if you know a little bit about your Bible, when you look at the, the way that this messenger is described, it does sound very much like what's happened in Revelation chapter 1 when we see John describing the appearance of the living God. Not quite the same, but there's certainly resemblances there. And then if you come over to Isaiah chapter 6, again, we see a similar description as Isaiah experiences the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The pre-incarnate is what we call it, where we know of Jesus as a baby in the manger and a carpenter and the Messiah who died on the cross for us and who raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. But his existence did not begin in the manger. His existence is the Alpha and the Omega. He has no beginning or end. And many times in the Old Testament, the Messiah appeared to people at significant times to give them a word of encouragement and comfort, to reveal his holiness to them as he would speak to them. It seems to be like that. And I want to to lean that way. But there are a couple of things that make me realise that perhaps this is just one of God's most holy angels who has come to give a message to Daniel. Come down in your Bibles to verse 11 for a moment and have a look at what it says there. And he said to me, this is the one who's appeared to him on the banks of the Tigris, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. I struggle to understand why Jesus would refer to himself as being sent. He's the one who sends. He's not the in this context. So that, that's a little, a little concern for me, but more so down into verse 13. Come with me into verse 13. Then... Or the prince of the kingdom of Persia, what does it say? Withstood me for how long? 21 days. I struggle to understand how my understanding of our God is that none can withstand him. He is only to speak a word or to think a thought. And so I struggle to understand how any demon could withstand our God for 21 days. So that pushes me back to basically identifying him as a, as a messenger, a holy messenger of God who has come to speak to Daniel. Amazing. And have a look how Daniel responds to this. Come down to verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but great trembling fell on them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and I saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words and as I heard the sounds of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. This is a typical response of one who's confronted with the holiness of God. His strength just drained away from him. And he finds himself prostrate, laying on his face before this holy image. And in this case, completely unconscious. He was so overcome, so overcome with the holiness and with the message that was to come. And then in verse 10, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and feet. Daniel finds himself now on his hands and his knees. And then he said to me something really beautiful. Oh, Daniel. Greatly loved of God. How precious it would be to hear those words. 
Don't you agree? Wouldn't it be nice if we could hear those words said of us? Greatly loved of God. If you come over in your Bibles, if you've got the same one as me and you need to turn the page, come to verse 19 and he said to me again, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong. And wouldn't it be good to have God speak those words over us? We could often think of ourselves, well, why doesn't God do that? You know the answer is God has done that. Every time we see that phrase in the New Testament where God speaks of his saints as being beloved, it's the same word that's being used there. Those who belong to the living God, the children of God, you who enjoy the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are the children of God and God refers to you as my beloved. He speaks these words over you in the New Testament time and time again. My beloved, be of good courage, be of strength. And so we have enjoyed that same blessing that Daniel has enjoyed here in the presence of the living God. Come with me a little bit further in your Bibles. Come down, if you will, be so kind, to verse 12. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from this first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And we get a, a glimpse into the power of prayer and we get a glimpse into the workings of heaven and we get a glimpse into what's happening with our prayers when we pray because often we pray and we don't get an immediate answer to our prayers or we wonder whether our prayers have been heard and we know as Daniel had been fasting for 21 days and praying and crying out to the Lord, he too must have wondered what the Lord was doing and why he had not received an answer. And now he learns that the very first time he opened his mouth and cried out to God, God heard his prayer in that in that what God didn't have to show him that God didn't have to write that down and again in the New Testament for believers we are told that when we pray in the spirit and when we pray the will of God and when we pray with holy hands our God hears our prayers and answers our prayers isn't that great news our God is a God who answers prayer have a look a little bit further into that verse because, and we're going to come back to this because we learn some secrets about what it is to actually withstand the evil one within this day that is evil and how we actually do that. Daniel reveals that for us. But he says in verse 14, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now we don't get an absolute vivid understanding of what's going on. We, we get a window into heaven. We get a window into the spiritual realm and we get a window into it with our eyes and with our understanding, which is tremendously limited. But what we learn here is that when Satan was cast out of heaven, he took with him, we don't know this from other scriptures in the Old Testament, he took with him one-third of the angels that were there at the time and very, very powerful angels. And it seems as though Satan has organized these angels over particular communities and particular nations. And there is a, a demon that has been raised up and used by Satan to promote the Persian Empire and to thwart the nation of Israel. That's the real game. The real game is to stop the nation of Israel being used by God to glorify him. So as the angel, as this messenger was to bring an answer to Daniel's prayer, so he was thwarted because the answer to Daniel's prayer was going to promote the nation of Israel and Satan is opposed to everything that promotes the nation of Israel. 
and the church. And so when we pray, we need to pray fervently because we are in a spiritual battle. Sometimes when we don't get the answer to our prayers, it may be that God has said no, but it's very likely that we are in a spiritual battle that we cannot see. And we need to continue like Daniel before the Lord, calling upon his name and waiting for him to win the battle that only he can win. It's an amazing, amazing picture. Do you see the picture on the screen? Sort of get that moment where we're standing before the Lord in the heavens and we're worshipping and the Lord peels back the heavens and he answers that question to us, why our prayers don't always get answered in the speedy time that we want. And we realize that there's actually this incredible battle going on in the heavenlies and God is ordering the nations and God is bringing his plans to pass for the nation of Israel and he's bringing his plans to pass for the church and his plans will not be thwarted. In this case, it seemed to please God to allow this angel to be held up for 21 days. And I say that because God has... Satan and all of his demons on a string. They are the created, not the creator. Our God is all-powerful, and we see this in the book of Job when he speaks to Satan and he says to Satan, come up here, and Satan must obey him. But it seems in God's sovereign plan, which I cannot begin to comprehend, that he is glorified, and he certainly must have been glorified as Daniel prevailed for 21 days faithfully in prayer and the angels looked on and worshipped the living God for this faithful saint. And we must remember that God's plans are sovereign and that God's plans are glorious and that God's plans are, are perfect and we must not lose heart. We must continue to prevail in prayer that God might be glorified. This, this should encourage your heart as you get a glimpse into the heavenlies and realize that God and his angels are battling on our behalf. You are much loved. You are the beloved of God. Let us pray with a fervent heart before the living God. Down in the last verse, uh, verse 21, we read, as the messenger speaks to Daniel and we get a little bit more of a glimpse again of uh, God's order. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And I may be wrong here, but it seems to imply that God has set Michael, the archangel, over the nation of Israel and that he is in the heavenlies at this very moment fighting against those who would thwart what God's plans are for the nation of Israel. must be a great comfort to the nation of Israel to know that God is battling for them and warring for them right now. But don't miss the obvious application. We should be encouraged because surely God has set his angels over us. He's ministering spirits of fire over us. And God is battling on our behalf in the heavenlies as we pray to God. So God is being glorified by battling that battle and answering our prayers. And how broken hearted our God must be when we remain silent and do not call upon him so he's not able to show his glory in answering our prayers. God has set over us his angels to minister to us, which is extraordinary. But nothing compared to the fact that we've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed until the day of redemption. God has spoken of us as though we are already seated with him in the heavenly places. 
His spirit ministers and speaks to our spirit. And when we do not know what to pray, the Holy Spirit ministers to us so that we can pray to God and he can be glorified. How blessed we are. Daniel would have craved to have what we have. And sadly, it's often the case, isn't it, when we have something, we often grow tired of it and we don't understand or realise just how beautiful it is. We've got about five minutes left. And I've only got an hour to go. So I want to finish off with an application because we are not Jews. We are the children of God. And uh, we have been sealed with his spirit. So three things I'd like to say in application from this passage. As we understand that God is battling on our behalf and that he has set angels over different nations and indeed over us and that God is desirous to answer our prayers and he hears us at the first moment when we pray. But here we are now as a church indwelt by the Spirit of God and Satan has been set over this world and is seen as the Lord of this world and he seeks to wreak havoc and he seeks to stop the gospel from going out and he start, tries to hold people in death, but you and I have been rescued from that. But he doesn't give up on us. He doesn't think now that Jeff's saved, I'm just going to let him have a free run. He thinks to himself, I will do all I can to thwart him and slow him down, even though the victory has been won, even though I am sealed and a child of God and my future is set, even though he cannot thwart the plan because God said that he will complete that which he has begun in me and in you. But we need to be wise to his activities, remembering that he's a created being, powerful, yes, but nothing like our creator our creator who has sealed us and dwells in us in all the fullness of the Holy Spirit and who has made us overcomers. And the first thing that we need to do and need to understand is we need to realise that Satan is active. He is not the figment of someone's imagination. Ephesians 6 gives us a bit of a window into this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against. And what does it say? The schemes. Now, Satan is a schemer. The word of God tells us that he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And he has, he has plans to trip you up, to thwart you, to oppress you, to harm you. We must stand against him. And we must remember when we are praying, when we are wrestling, when we're struggling in our home, when things aren't going the way that we want them to go, when we're having a hard time, we need to stop and we need to pull the heavens open and remind ourselves we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principality and power. And we do not wrestle as those who have been overcome. We wrestle as those who are overcomers because of what God has given to us. So let us remember to prevail in prayer. Let us remember that God, through faith, has made us his children. We are on victory's side. Over here, I'm on the enemy's side. I'm not praying. I'm not reading my Bible. And I've just allowed myself to be pushed around. And I need to remind myself, no, actually, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I have stepped into the victory of God. I have died to myself and now I'm alive to Christ. I've stepped into that power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the power that I now have at my disposal. 
First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he shall devour. He's obsessed and clearly needs some counselling. Okay? And he seeks to harm us at every opportunity. And we need to be really wise that we don't give him any leverage. When he puts his hand in the crack of your door, slam that sucker as hard as you can. Be sober-minded. Be aware. Finally, or secondly, I want to say that we need to be wise to his methods. He is a schemer and he does have methods. And 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, So that we are not outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. General Patton was a movie with General Patton who was an American commander and he was a tank commander and he was fighting against the German, well-known German commander, Rommel. And in one scene in this movie, they show you this very, very large field and the tanks are moving around on the field and the, the American tanks are beginning to overcome the German tanks, which was, I won't go into it, but that's quite amazing. There was a, They had some pretty amazing stuff. But Patton's beginning to win and Rommel's getting smashed and they got a shot there with Patton. He's got these binoculars up to his face and he calls out aloud. He said, man, he said, I read your book. I read your book. And what he's meaning is that Rommel had written a lengthy book about tank tactics. <laughs> Pretty dumb thing to do before you go to war. He'd written a lengthy book and Patton had got hold of that book and read it and he knew what Rommel's tactics were. He knew what was coming and so he was prepared and he smashed him. It was fantastic. Praise God for that, that the Lord rescued us. We need to be aware that Satan is a liar, an accuser of the brethren, a murderer, a deceiver. And we need to be aware of those things and we need to be in the word of God so that we are not weak and deceived by his schemes. Finally, we need to join the resistance. James 4 says, Submit yourself therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee for you. You remember I said to you that Daniel shows us how to fight the evil one? Come back in your Bibles for a minute and have a look at uh, what was written down there for us. Come down to um, verse 12. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you sought, uh, that you set your heart to understand. And what does he say? You humbled yourself before the living God. We think that when we're in a fight, we need to work out, find ourselves a firearm, and we need to attack. And we have this sort of mentality, but God's actually saying what we really need to do to win the war is we need to recognize that Christ has already won the war, and we need to submit ourselves to him. We need to stop doing things on our own. We need to stop serving ourselves. We need to stop serving our pride. And we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, confess our sins and rest in the finished work of God. But you need to know that to do that. So it's it's counterintuitive the way that God calls us to win this battle. Humble yourself before the Lord. Pull back the heavens and watch the battle. Cry out to God in prayer and watch him fight on your behalf. You're already on the victory side. We've already won. Isn't that great news? And he must flee from us. That's the outer part. When we humble ourselves and we resist him in the strength of the spirit, he must flee from us. Okay? That's how powerfully God has worked on our behalf.
We do not need to raise a hand towards him. We do not need to be sarcastic towards him. We do not need to scream at him. We do not defend ourselves. We simply submit ourselves to the finished work of Christ and we remind him that we have been washed in the blood and that now we are dead to ourselves and alive to Christ, that we are a new creation. We are ambassadors for him and he will flee from us. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day Take up the word of God. Take up your prayer. Do what God has said. Gird your waist with the truth. And then just stand because he will flee. God has enabled us to be on the victory side. I want to close with just exhorting you to pray. Have you got a fresh picture of what's going on in heaven on our behalf? As we ring the bell as we grasp that rope and pull on that rope and the bell rings in heaven and God is powerfully working on our behalf and his angels have been ordered to care over and minister for us, what a privilege it is to pray. It invigorates me to want to pray. I've been praying with this in my mind and it's brought me great joy. Now I say this to you out of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I've got a dry mouth. That sounded really weird. I don't even think that's a book in the Bible. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Do you get that now? Like when Paul said that the first time, I thought he's just one of those, those leaders that just like to make it hard for you. But no, I, I know now that he had looked into heaven and saw God working and answering our prayers and he's saying, man, this is where the battle is won. You don't win the battle on your feet, you win the battle on your knees. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all of our circumstances because we're on the victory side. God, it seems right now that we're going down the tubes at a rapid rate and everything's going south, but I trust you because I know that you've already won the victory and so I'm going to rejoice even though things don't look great. That's a great place to be. Finally, as we close, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I call on you as friends and family in a church, would you please join with us in prayer? Would you call upon your God who wants to prove himself strong and faithful and true to you? A God who has yet and will continue to do great and mighty things and we will see more of that in chapter 11 and 12 in the coming weeks. Pretty exciting, isn't it? Let's pray as we close.